Well, I'm, uh, thank you again for uh, prayers and, and support. My, my shoulder is slowly... <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, last, last night, I, I tried to get crazy and not sleep without with the, uh, what you call it on, the, the, the straight jacket. That I affectionately begin to call it. That wasn't a good idea, so I guess I still need to keep it on for a while. Uh, so thank you for your prayers. Well, we're, we're in uh, week eight, actually. This is the longest series I think we've ever done here at Southridge. This is the longest series that I can remember doing. There might have been one uh, years ago that we did on the Beatitudes that would be about the same length. But we're doing, uh, this will be eight weeks of a series on the invisible kingdom of God. And, and what we're doing is we're, we're looking into one of Jesus' main themes that he talked about all the time. And this was the, this idea of a kingdom that he was coming to establish in person that was uh, a, a very real thing. And so in the first part of it, we talked about how something big is happening because here's the deal. A, a lot of us, I think, are not to say the, a mean word, but we're just clueless. We don't understand that there's something really big happening with God, and God is actively doing something really big in the world and in his creation and all these things. And, and in God's terminology, it's called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, an invisible kingdom that's happening. And, and so we talked uh, right away about something big happening. It's a reality uh, that it's already happening. Matter of fact, right now, many of you today sitting here know of that reality personally. It's part of who you are, and you sense that. But it's something that's not yet fully happened because there's this internal d dimension uh, that happens with this kingdom idea that it's an already not yet. There's a reality. There is a ruler. The ruler is Jesus. He is the king, whether or not I, I acknowledge it or not. Matter of fact, Scripture talks about that at some point, on this whole thing that God has created together, that every knee and every tongue will confess him to be Lord, whether they want to or not. It's just a matter of fact at some point. He is the ruler of this kingdom. Um, there is a unique responsibility that God gives us. He didn't have to, but he does. He gives us the responsibility. And then there's a reward. There's rewards now, and there's rewards later in relationship to eternity. And so all that was part of the first part of the series. And then we shifted gears, and we begin to talk about the second part of that. So something big is happening. There is an invisible kingdom that Jesus is throwing out there and say, hey, guys, this is why I'm here. This is one thing. But the second part of this series is where it becomes very practical and very, very tangible for us because God wants you and I to be a part of this invisible kingdom. And so that we can actually engage in this and embrace it and, and be a part of it, not only personally, but corporately together. Uh, and so part of that, like today we sang in that song, this idea that the church and the kingdom, it's all related. It's connected together. You can't get away from it. And so we, we talked about, you know, we need to make a decision to be a part of it. Week one, we talked about making a decision to be like Jesus, to have this, the same heart, the same goal, the same, to be on the same team, that, that I, if I'm going to be part of this thing, this invisible kingdom that God has, then to be like Jesus is one of the number one priorities, all right? Then Brent came and he talked about being mission-minded, and, and that simply is this, that the invisible kingdom is living with the same goal that Jesus had. And you're like, well, what was Jesus' goal? Jesus' goal was very simply, he said he came to seek and save, anybody want to fill in the blank? The lost. 
You know, those that do not have relationship with him. In other words, there's this compassion, passion that is in heaven that is called the mission of heaven that we are supposed to be a part of as well. That that's what it means to be part of this invisible kingdom. That there's a mission, a cause, if you will, to seek and save those that are disconnected, disillusioned, and separated from God. That somehow he would allow us to be a part of that. And then last week we talked about being compassionate. That we would be in a position or a place to be compassionate. That we wouldn't just do compassion, but we would be compassionate and allow that to flow through us. And so that's, that's bringing us all up to speed. So we're kind of wrapping this whole series up today. Here's our key text. Key text is in Matthew chapter 6. And it says this, seek the kingdom of God. Above all else, I did a little word search today, just going, you know, I've got all these books in my library and all this different stuff that I have, and one of my favorite ones is to go in and try to find out what the word means, and, and so I pulled up seek, you know, and, and I think we automatically know that seeking has to do with chasing after or pursuing, but in, in, the, in the understanding that's in this text, it actually has to do with desire. It has to do with longing. It has to do with this idea that I desire something more than anything else. And so what the scripture is saying, seek or desire the kingdom of God above all else. In other words, make this your number one priority. Make this your number one desire, all right? And it goes on, <clears throat> and live righteously, and live righteously. So here's the B part of this, of this whole series is somehow there's me doing this. It's living it out, living righteously, and he will give you everything you need. How many of you want to have a life that is just fulfilling? Jesus is laying out the answer right here. He's saying, here's the deal. You want a life that's fulfilling? You want to find that sense that gives satisfaction beyond all satisfaction? Then understand this one verse. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Desire it as your number one priority and live in a certain way, in a, in a being way, that makes this come alive in you. And so that's what's happening in this verse. So being a part of the invisible kingdom is not just going to church. I mean, that's such a small part of it. It's being the church, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but it's not just going to church. It's not just fo it's not following a list of rules. I mean, the goal for God isn't to give you a hundred rules and say, hey, if you could follow these hundred rules, man, you got it. That's not, that's not the goal. It's that you would be something, that you wouldn't just do all these different things, but that you would actually be a part of what God is doing. So it's not just following a list. It's not found in head knowledge. You know, it's, it's not a matter of somehow you're going to come to church or you're going to read a book or you're going to read something, and all of a sudden now you've got this great insight and this great knowledge. It's not about knowledge. It really isn't. It's about being who God created us to be. Matter of fact, Scripture says this about knowledge. Knowledge will actually puff you up. In other words, it'll make you think you're something that you're not instead of being who you're supposed to be. And so that's part of this whole idea in seeking first and living righteously. But it's instead, it's all about what's number one in my life, and check this out, and how I live my life, how I live it, how I do this thing. How, how, do, how do I walk this out? How do I be a part of what God's doing? So today, this is what I want to talk about. Being a part of the invisible kingdom is to be life-giving. To be life-giving. 
giving. Now, what you have to do right now is hopefully you're just kind of looking in your own heart and reflecting about where you're at and going, am I life-giving? Is my life life-giving? Or is it somehow neutral? You know, I'm, not, I'm neither taking or giving. I don't know if that's possible. Or is my life taking? You know, am I taking? Am I always taking something? I'm not giving anything. I'm not, I'm not giving life. I'm taking it. You know, and I, I thought about this today, just this whole idea of being life-giving. And in my own life, and here, here's what I thought. There is nothing more fulfilling in my life than the moments I know that God is bringing life through me. There is nothing more fulfilling. Matter of fact, I'll just share a little something. There's a reason why Jennifer and I do a, a, a life group every semester called Starting Point. And the reason why we do that is because we know in the midst of that group there is going to be life. And I want to be a part of that. And I love when all of a sudden I can just sense and I can know in my heart that somehow, some way, God is moving through this broken, weak vessel to bring life to somebody else. I love that. And I realize part of the reason that drives me forward in ministry and in life is that one simple thought, that there is nothing more fulfilling in life than knowing that God is bringing life through me. Now, I've, got, I've, I've experienced a lot of things. You know, I've been a lot of places and different things like that. I've seen a lot of things. But I can honestly say that one idea rules and reigns above all the rest of them, that somehow God would fulfill life or bring life through me. Now, what does it mean to be life-giving? That's, that's the question. What does it mean to be life-giving? You know, a simple definition is that you and I are part of a culture, if you will, that brings spiritual, eternal life to those around us. I'm not talking natural life, not just a good feeling in a moment where it kind of feels good for a little bit and then it goes away. We're talking about something that will last forever in eternity. That somehow what I'm doing in life, somehow what I'm part of in life or part of here in this church, that it is bringing, uh, uh, creating life-giving scenarios everywhere I turn. That's, that's what it means to be life-giving. Hopefully as a church, that's what we are. A lot of you are here because of that, that God has used Southridge Church to be a part of, of that life-giving idea. Many of us, though, have grown up in families and situations that were everything but life-giving, Right? A lot of us, that, we, don't, we don't know what this even looks like. Most of us, what we've learned in life isn't life-giving, it's life-taking. What we've learned in life is, is to not give it away, but to see how much we can get. And as a matter of fact, a lot of times we're promoted to do that. We're, we're encouraged to do that. Just get, 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 take, 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 take. And the goal of life many times doesn't seem to be to give it away, it means to get it. And then and it gets into the negative side of it is some of us, we grew up in homes that were maybe alcoholic, and we're still battling with the same life-taking alcoholism. Or maybe we grew up in a home that was very cynical and very critical and very judgmental, and we're still living with that same thing that's life-taking, not life-giving. And so somehow that's got to change. Somehow if I'm going to be a part of what God wants to do in the kingdom, I've got to understand that this needs to somewhere, somehow become different. Because being a part of the invisible kingdom is a radically different approach and perspective on life than what most of us have experienced to this point. 
So we, we have to look at it. So here's, here's the verse, the text I want to look at. It's, it's found in John chapter 15. It's the story or the, the illustration that Jesus gives about the vine and you and I being the vine and Jesus being the, the true grapevine or us being the branches, him being the vine. Here's what it says. I am the true grapevine, Jesus speaking, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. It's a promise. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered in a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you may ask anything you want, and it will be granted. There's some fulfillment, isn't it? There's some authority there. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Let me just make a few observations real quick. I think there's fill in the blanks for these on your notes. A few observations from the text. First one is this. Everything except Jesus is is a substitute for what is real. Everything except Jesus. Jesus is a substitute for what is real. And so so here's how that works. If you look at anything other than Jesus as the source or the meaning or the purpose of your life, you are in fact substituting the fake for the real. Because Jesus said, I am the what? True grapevine. In other words, I'm the real deal. It, this, it doesn't get any more real than this. It doesn't get any more down to earth than this. It doesn't, it doesn't have any greater source than this. And so he says simply, I am the true grapevine. And so a lot, of, a lot of people, this is what's happened. A lot of people are trying to be fruitful without Jesus. And from this text of scripture, he's basically saying, it's not going to happen. You can't get there from here. You can't make that happen in that way. So the first point, thought, observation, everything except Jesus, substitute for the real. Here's the second thought. God the Father is the man in charge. Not me. Not you. Not, I mean, we, want, we might think we are at some point. Sometimes we just think, yeah, I'm kind of running the show. I'm doing my thing. But ultimately, God is the gardener. And matter of fact, it says at the end, this brings great glory to my Father. So this whole story is bookmarked by God being the gardener and God being the one that gets all the glory. And so somehow I have to understand that in life, that sometimes I think somehow I'm the star of the show. And I'm not the star of the show. God's the star of the show, and God wants to do something really big. And so being, a life, life, being life-giving is the result of God's activity and God's plan and me somehow being a part of it, graciously at that, that he's going to let me do that. Here's another one. Uselessness invites disaster. Uselessness invites disaster. When I'm useless, 
I am positioning or putting myself in my life in a position of disaster. A lot of us, we know that in very real time in our lives, that the times that I was maybe just not really being life-giving, the result of the life-giving list moments was a disaster. It was those moments that I made decisions that, boy, that didn't turn out real well. It was the moments I treated that person this way, and it blew up in my face. It was the moment that I I decided to go and do this no matter what anybody else was saying. I just wanted to do my own thing, go my own way, and now look where I'm at. And it's a disaster. And so some people, though, are really good at sucking the life out of anything. To be negative, to be critical, to be self-centered. But God's goal for each of us is that we would be in a place that we give life, not to take away The reality is, is if I'm not useful for the king and his kingdom, it might not go well for me. That's what he's saying. I think sometimes we just need to kind of pause and just think, okay, wait a minute. Maybe I need to let this sink in a little bit. Maybe I need to realize that some of the stuff that's going on in my life actually is going to have a consequence that I really don't want to be a part of. And maybe I need to rethink how in that interaction and what God wants me to be and this fulfillment and this kingdom and all these different things that God has for me, maybe I need to rethink this. Maybe. Because usefulness, uselessness invites disaster. Here's another one. You can't give away what you don't have. You can't give away what you don't have. Some of us, we want to have our homes full of love, but if there's no love in us, it's not going to happen. Some of us, we want to have peace in our lives, but if there's no peace in us, (laughs) it ain't going to happen. And so we're missing out on this because we're trying to do something that we don't have. We're trying to give away something that we don't have within us. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't give away what you don't have. Live, life-giving people are spiritually alive, and out of that spiritual aliveness comes life. That somehow I've got to be alive in Jesus. I've got to be alive in Christ. And some of you, if you're thinking, well, I don't really know what that means, you probably need to make that a really big priority in your life. You need to say, Lord, what, what does that mean to, to have life with you? So you, you can't, and, and here's another thought about this, you can't give away what you don't have is there is a lot of times good things that people are doing that do not have eternal results, okay? Let me say it another way. There's a lot of good people that do not have spiritual life. There's a lot of good people that do good things that don't have spiritual life. And what Jesus is saying in this story, say, hey, here's the deal. You can do things. He's not saying you can't do anything. He's not saying you can't have a good moment. He's not saying you can't be kind and you can't do some of these different things. But the result of it will not last because you cannot give away what you do not have. And he's getting it. Here's a a verse that maybe goes with that. It says this, and I didn't write down the text on your notes, but it says that the spirit gives life to spirit and the flesh gives life to the flesh. It's a principle in Scripture. In other words, if the Spirit is alive in me and it's dwelling in me and Christ is in me and it's happening, out of that actually comes more spiritual life. But if it's flesh, meaning it's just me doing a good thing without God, the only thing it can produce is more of me and what I have if it's just flesh. Does that make sense? Here's another one. 
And this leads us to the, to the points today. God expects us to reproduce. God expects us to reproduce. Kind of scary to think about that God is actually looking at each one of our lives going, you know what, I'm expecting something from you. I'm expecting something from you. I didn't just put you on the planet so you could just do your own thing. I've got something I want you <laughs> to produce. That God expects that from us. And, and, and life-giving people are actively reproducing. That there is a clear wake in the path of where we've been that you can see life. You know, a lot of times, every time I get to the end of the year, like we're just about here, I always look back and say, Lord, what difference have I made? What lives have been changed because you were reproducing yourself through me? And boy, I hope every year that I can always say, okay, God, I can see it there. I can see it there. I can see it there. But there's always this sense that, God, you want to do more. You want to see more happening in me. And I think that's because the Spirit of God is stirring in our hearts. It says, hey, I expect you to reproduce. I expect that. And, and by the way, here, here's, here's the thought about it. It's not potentially reproduce. I have the potential. That's just potential. It's not ideally, well, you know, if everything was just right, you know, the, the stars and all the different things would line up. The man, at that point, I would reproduce. I would make it happen. It's happening. It's not that either. It's the reality of the reproduction. It's, it's what actually is there, not some idea or thought that's in my head about what I wish or hope or could happen. It's what actually happens. That's what God is expecting. When I stand before the Lord, he's going he's to say, hey, what was your potential? What did you hope to see happen? That isn't even going to be a question. The question is, what did you produce? What did you reproduce in your life? I, I, I thought about it this way. When... When I was younger, I was really good at reproducing. You know, and I'm not talking about Jennifer and I having five kids. <laughs> okay? It was before that. And uh, I, I realized that when I was younger, I, 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 I reproduced death in a lot of people. Because I was a I was drug dealer. I, I, was, I was a hardcore partier. I was introducing them to addictions. I was introducing them and reproducing into them alcoholism and hopelessness and darkness. I mean, I look back and there's several years that I can look and see from my early teenage years to when I was about 20 that I probably did a lot of damage. I remember my own brother, younger brother, three years younger. I know, I know his drug and alcohol addiction was directly connected to me. Nobody else, me. My parents had to drag him and his wife out of a crack house in Dallas, Texas several years ago. I knew that was because of me. I knew that I had reproduced something that I did not want to be part of reproducing, but it's because I wasn't life-giving, I was life-taking. And see, God is expecting you and I to reproduce life not take it. And so somehow I have to see that. Somehow I've got to get that. So how do we make it happen? How do we make it happen? In nine minutes or less. Are you ready? <laughs> I notice that when I sit, I go slower. Have you noticed that? 
all right, how do we make it, how do, how do we become life givers? How do, how do we do this? How, how, do, how, do I, how do I see this become part of who I am as a person, right? I mean, this be part, right? So here, here's, and just three things. First one is this, is I need to allow God to get rid of what hinders. I need to allow God to get rid of what hinders in my life. In the text, it's called pruning. <laughs> I need to allow God to do that. Here's, here's a scary thought, though. If I don't allow God to do that, then he does it by force at some point in my life. And it's not a good thing when God does it by force. It's never a good thing when God comes and says, we're going to remove what hinders by force. Instead, it's always a good thing if I can partner with God or surrender or yield to God and allow him to get rid of what hinders. See, often the inability to reproduce is the result of unhealthy and dead practices that we just won't let go of. See, some of us, the reproduction that God wants to see happen in our lives won't happen in us because we're not willing to let go of that. We're not willing to let go of this part of who we are. And, and sometimes it falls in this category of compartmentalizing our lives. You know, this is my life. This is God's life. This is church life. That's mine. And say, so God said, wait a minute. We, if you're going to be reproductive, you've got to allow me to get rid of what is hindering you from being reproductive. You, you have to allow me to do this. And see, for a lot of us, we carry a lot of dead weight, and we hold on to attitudes and behaviors that simply keep us from reproducing. By the way, next month, we're doing a whole series called Traveling Light, figuring out how to lighten the load so we can move forward with God. So it's going to be a great Christmas series, if you will, Traveling Light. And so I, I'm looking forward to that. Um, so how does God prune us? Let me just ask that question. How does he prune us? And, and here's a couple things. Maybe you never thought about how God prunes us. Okay? Pruning is the cutting away of the things that really aren't helping us. They're hindering us. Okay? That's, that's really, you know, to bring more life, I've got to get rid of some things. Okay? Here's, what, here's what God does. He allows suffering. See, sometimes God will allow you to go through a difficult situation so that he can, in the process of the difficulty, prune you. And maybe that's where you're at today is you're going through a suffering time and God is allowing it. Or maybe this, maybe God positions us to see something we need to see. You ever had that moment where you just, wow, I've never seen that before. <laughs> you ever had that moment where all of a sudden it's like, whoa, man, I've been doing this forever, never noticed it or seen it from that perspective before. And see, that's God positioning us to maybe see something that's in our heart or to see something in our behavior, to see something that we're part of and go, nah, that's what I'm talking about. That is getting in the way. We need to deal with that. And God prunes us that way. He allows us to see that or he allows us to see what really matters. I know for me, real quickly, I, I mentioned it. The reason why I mentioned it, I think, lately is because this is, this is the time of our oldest daughter's birth, and so it kind of brings about a lot of things. She died in a car accident, many of you know this. Here's what happened when that time happened for us, is all of a sudden, a lot of things that I thought mattered didn't matter at all. And what really mattered came to the surface. And see, that's pruning. God does that. God allows that to happen so that I can get to the place where I reproduce. It's, or it's bringing someone into our lives to challenge us. Maybe that person that just is rubbing you and rubbing you and rubbing you might be there because God put them there 
is say, hey, let's do some pruning. Let's get rid of what hinders. See, pruning is eliminating the things that drain life and, and, it fo- and giving us opportunities to focus more energy on the things that bring life. Here's the next one. Next one. Actively interact with the living word of God. Actively interact with the living word of God. It says in the text, be purified. You're already purified by the message. What does that mean? You're already purified by the message. What it means is that when you accepted the fullness of what Jesus was bringing in the gospel message, meaning you are desperately broken, and I, Jesus, am the only answer that can redeem you or make you whole or fix you or help you. When you accepted that, you are purified in that message. You're made alive. And so he talks about that, and he says, if you remain in my word a little bit later on, you can ask whatever, and it's going to happen, that there's this authority that takes place. There's something that dramatically happens in the life of a person because of the word of God that enables me to be life-giving. So I, I need to understand the place of that. Here's, here's a text of Scripture. It says, 2 Timothy chapter 3. I love it from the message. It says, every part of Scripture is God-breathed. By the way, I love that concept. It's the same God-breathing that breathed creation into existence. Is the same breathing. God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the Word, we are put together and shaped up for the tasks God has for us. That somehow, because of the Word of God actively, interactively in my life, it is helping me to be in a position where I can be life-giving. It's reproducing something in me that I desperately need because of the Word. So what that means then is I need to interact with it. If your only experience with Scripture and your only experience with God's living Word, His breathed Word, is on a Sunday morning for 30, 40 minutes because Pastor Troy is talking about this particular text, you probably will starve to death. And you probably won't produce very much. And so, God, I have to actively interact with the living Word of God. Three activities, real quickly, that we do in relationship to God's Word. We accept its authority. We accept its authority. My decisions are not based on my opinions. My decisions are based on God's revelation. I accept its authority. God's Word has authority over the biggest obstacles in my life and the smallest struggles. God is always the answer, and His Word brings clarity to it every time. Here's another one. Assimilate its truth. Assimilate its truth. Jesus told an invisible kingdom parable about a sower. I encourage you to go read it. It's all throughout the Gospels. In it, He describes the connection between being fully receiving the Word or the seed, and being able to reproduce. They're connected. The Word of God and me being able to reproduce, bring life, is directly connected. And he, and, he, and he describes four different kinds of people that are receptive or assimilating the Word of God. There's those that are closed-minded. In other words, the hard. You can't get in here. I don't want anything. Maybe that's you today. You're sitting here going, I don't want to listen to this. I can't wait for this to get over. And it's being closed-minded. There's those that are super superficial or shallow is the other group that he describes, superficial-minded. And that is, is I, I'm going to let it have a little bit of way in it, but it's not, I'm not going to let it have enough way in me that changes who I am, what I do, or how I think. 
I'm just going to give a little bit. And by the way, that's very dangerous because it gives you the sense that you know something that brings life, but you don't have any life. The third one is, is those that are distracted-minded. He talks about those that it's happening, God's moving, God's growing, God's doing, His Word is alive in me, but because of the distractions of wealth, because of the distractions of busyness of life, it begins to choke out through the weeds the Scripture in my life, and I can't reproduce. And then the last one he describes is those that are open-minded. Lord, I'm open to you. You do what you want to do. So I assimilate its truth. Here's the last one. Apply its principles. Apply its principles. Apply its principles. Constant application of God's word positions me to be life-giving. In other words, like James says, be doers of the word. Be doers of the word. So last point is this, which the last one there leads into the last one. A lot of laughs right there. Last, last, last. Always be in a position to give life away. Our greatest challenge as subjects of the kingdom is to remain in constant connection to the life of Christ. That's our greatest challenge. To not be separate. To not disengage. To not pull away. To not allow the things that God wants to do in our lives to happen. That's our greatest challenge. To always be in a position to give life away is is our greatest challenge. What does it mean to remain in me? And here, here's what it means. It means to maintain, I don't think this is a place for your hand up, maybe you want to write it down. Maintain a constant, dependent relationship with Christ. Constant, I don't think I need to explain that. It means all the time, right? <laughs> dependent, I'm dependent on you. Things like faith, trust are part of dependent. And then relationship. What do you do in relationships? You listen, you interact, you love, you allow to, yourself to be loved, right? And so in that is that remaining in me. It's personal and we're made by Christ, but it's also something much, much bigger. And here's the interesting twist about remaining in me, all right? Remaining in me points to something in Scripture. Remaining in me. Personally, I remain in you, constantly dependent in relationship with you, Christ. But what about all of us together? How does that look? Are we all just on this individual path with Christ, or is it something bigger? It's something bigger. Notice this. Romans chapter 12, verse 5 says, In Christ, we who are many, in Christ, same kind of phrase, remain in Christ. In Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. In other words, here's the deal. Remaining in Christ is understanding the relationship and connection that you and I have here in church. All of a sudden, this remaining and being reproducing and productive for God isn't a one-man show. It's all of a sudden I realize that God wants to do something big through us as a church. And it's remaining in him, this church. It's not a building. It's, not a, it's a people. It's a body. In the New Testament, there are nearly 100 different word pictures for the church, all describing some unique aspect or angle of the place of the church in God's master plan. Things like the bride of Christ. I wanted to talk today about that, which is kind of one of those weird things, especially for guys. Guys don't like to be the bride of Christ. So, but it's a really cool thing in Scripture. 
bride of Christ, the army of God, light, salt, temple of God, family, foundation. I mean, on and on and on and on are all these analogies and pictures of this remaining together in Christ, this body, which was the number one definition. Check out this scripture. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. You can easily enough see how this kind of thing works by looking no further than your own body. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells, but no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. By means of his one spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial and peaceful, piecemeal lives. We each used to independently call our own shots, but then we entered into a large and integrated life in which he has the final say in everything. Verse 27, you are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. Only as you accept your part of the body does your part mean anything. In other words, then you reproduce. Then you become productive in what God wants you to do. Not because you're independently acting. Because God's design is the church to be a living organism, to be life-giving with the capacity of reproducing itself hundreds of times over. That's why... We keep saying this one phrase, don't just go to church, be the church. Don't just go to church, be the church. And by the way, we even went as far as get a little t-shirt. Don't just go to church, be the church. Anybody wear a large right around here? You're welcome. That's to tease all of you. Those are on sale for $10 in the hallway. (laughs) All right? Good deal. Worship team is going to come. Let me me close. So don't just go to church. Be the church. Don't just show up here. Understand that God has something super huge and big, and together we're supposed to reproduce. So by the way, Think about that. Constant, dependent relationship. Constant, you know. So if you show up once every four weeks, that's probably not too constant. If you're dependent, it means that there's an openness, a vulnerability, and an understanding that I need you and you need me. There's a relationship. We know each other. I know. Here's, Here's how the church is supposed to work. That if you're hurting... Because we are in relationship together, I know it and you know it. And because of that, we can reproduce life in the context of what God has for us. That's how it's set up. So here's here's the deal. There's two things that keep us from functioning as a healthy reproducing church. This is right from the text, actually. There's two things. First one is this. Insignificance. That somehow in your mind or in your heart, you have devalued your role in the body of Christ. I don't make a difference. Whenever a person begins to think that way, then at that moment, we fail to be a healthy, reproducing church. Because here's the truth. Every person in this room is a 10 at something. Some part of this thing called the body of Christ, every person in this room is a 10 something. I don't know exactly what that is. We need to figure that out together, right? The key is, is I need to find my 10. I need to find my 10. 
There's things that God wants to do through Southridge Church that isn't happening right now. And you know why? Because you, in your heart, have said, I'm insignificant. That's the first thing. Second one is the opposite of this. Independence. Independence. See, independence has that act uh, that I, I like hanging out with you, but I don't need you. I don't need you. I don't want to be a part of this because I have to. I just do it because it feels good when I want to. It's independent. See, independent tries to operate independently, doing my own thing. And so reproduction, though, doesn't flow from independence. It flows from interdependence. See, God wants to bring Southridge Church to a place that we are life-giving in a big way. But we have to understand that I'm probably in one of these categories that I'm thinking insignificantly. That's where I struggle. I think, Lord, can you use me? Maybe some of you, though, your struggle is I'm just independent. I want to do my own thing when I want to do it. It kills the church. It kills the reproduction of Christ and where we're at. As I close, where does the life come from? Life comes from the seed. Where's the seed come from? The seed comes from the fruit. Lord, I need fruit in my life. Where's the fruit come from? Fruit comes from me surrendering and staying in constant, dependent relationship with Christ. And he produces that through the Spirit. So what kind of seeds are you planting? Are you life-giving? Are you interacting with the Word of God so that you can bring truth to the confused? Are you in a position to give away life, to the helping, to, the, to help the hurting, to give hope to the hopeless, to give sight to the blind? Is that you? Let's pray. Lord, have your way. May we yield to you. May we yield to you, God. May we yield to you. Lord, may we take the scriptures and what we just walked through here today and apply them to our lives, Lord. Give you, a, give you authority. Accept the authority of scripture. And assimilate the truth. and Apply the principles, God. May we say yes like never before. I want to be in a place to reproduce for you. In Jesus' name, amen.